Welcome to Matthew Felix, the radio episodes, words, and images. I'm Matthew Felix, author of the novel A Voice Beyond Reason and the travel story collection With Open Arms, short stories of misadventures in Morocco. In February 2018, what is now my Matthew Felix On Air video podcast began as an internet radio program in downtown San Francisco. The radio episodes, Words and Images podcast, feature segments from that radio show in which I converse with writers, photographers, filmmakers, and more. I hope you like the show. And don't forget to check out the current incarnation, Matthew Felix On Air, available here as well as on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening and talk soon. Falk Kameen received her PhD in German studies from Stanford University. She also holds a master's degree in German from San Francisco State University, where she graduated cum laude, and a master's degree in TESOL from the School for International Training in Brattleboro, Vermont. Her research interests are focused on interdisciplinary and comparative aspects of post-World War II German culture and contemporary German literature and film. Falk has taught in both the Humanities and German Studies departments at Stanford University, and she is currently chair of the Humanities Department at Foothill College, where she also teaches courses for majors, non-majors, and honors students. Falk's enthusiasm for teaching might be matched by her passion for art, history, and the study of how humans make sense of the world, but you might not want to take a bet on that. Welcome, Falk. Thank you, Matthew, for having me on your show. Thank you for forgiving me for mispronouncing your last name. Uh, when I did the first intro, um, I thought I had it, and I was completely off. But anyway, like I said, thanks for your forgiveness. So, you really like teaching. Absolutely. Why? Yeah. What do you like about teaching? You know, there are so many aspects to teaching that I love, but basically it is a tremendous activity that provides purpose in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I also clearly like the stage. Uh, I like to uh, turn on lights in my students' brains and uh, uh, overall, um, you know, the sense of creativity that this profession allows is tremendous. Okay, so uh, so that's teaching, but why do you prefer, or why did you decide to focus on the humanities as your personal pursuit and something that you wanted to focus on as a teacher, Clearly as an educator? the interdisciplinary aspect. Uh, you know, my uh, research interest is very vast, so it's very easy in the teaching of humanities to bring in all kinds of areas, from film studies to architecture, uh, sculpture, painting, literature, um, philosophy, history, all that good stuff. Okay, and that is a lot of good stuff. So let's let's um, let's run with that a little further. Let's let's specifically for people who I mean I think everyone's heard the term humanities, but there's humanities, there's liberal arts, there is art, there's writing. So when we say humanities, what are we specifically referring to? So that's a very good question because the term really refers to two different things. First of all, it refers to a part within the academy that deals with discipline that investigate the human condition. So these um, disciplines are as vast as I already mentioned, history, philosophy, uh, all the arts, uh, literature, um, part of, one could even argue, uh, anthropology, um, maybe uh, uh, 
political science, sociology, all these departments belong in a broader sense to what has been deemed the humanities. However, a humanities department that teaches the discipline of humanities uses aspects from all of these disciplines to, inv to look at the big, big questions that we are faced with as human beings. Such uh, as? You know, unlike animals, we know that our time is finite. So <laughs> we want our life to have mattered. Nobody wants to die and say it was for nothing. So ultimately, how do we live a good life? This question uh, faces or has faced humanities, uh, you know, since we've existed in all cultures. How do we live a good life? Uh, how do we, how do we, how do we, what do we believe in? How do we get happy, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a good human? Uh, all of these questions are important and uh, the disciplines that I have mentioned uh, all investigate how humanity has answered that question to a certain degree. Yep. You might think, you know, well, you know, over time this question has changed, but, you know, a lot, of, a lot changes, but these things stay the same. Some things stay the same, yeah. Um, one thing I think I got this from your website, the study of humanities is key to the development of informed global citizens who navigate the complexities of our modern world in a socially responsible manner and contribute wisely to society. So socially responsible manner and contribute wisely to society. How does the study of humanities help us to do that? So you talked about happiness, the search for meaning, uh, but what about this other angle, social responsibility and, and being wise and how we're functioning are playing our roles in society. Yes, yeah, so I like that the, the that you use the term wise because you know there is knowledge and there is wisdom. Mm -hmm. So in humanities courses, you know that knowledge part, what we actually teach doesn't matter so much as to what we do with knowledge and how do we connect you know, the dreaded term information bits. How do we connect these to create uh, uh, a meaningful whole and something that advises us in moving forward? And you know the old adage, in order uh, to know where we are going, we need to know where we come from. And we right. also need to understand that... Uh, certain concepts are made up and the way we think about those concepts changes over time. So, you know, I always like to talk about, um, an, uh, I always like to give an example to illustrate this. So if I may, let me talk a little bit about the concept of Please hope. Please do. Of hope. Yes. Okay, that's a good one. So when you do an internet search, you see that hope comes up billions of times. We use it all the time. Uh, and, you know, generally, well, what one would think, well, what do we need to talk about? Hope, I know the definition of it. It's something positive. But what if I told you that in antiquity, hope was actually considered to be an evil? Oh, I would be very surprised. Exactly. And so let me tell you how uh, people in antiquity thought about hope. So, um, you know... You all, we all know the story of Pandora's box. Um, and, you know, I love to retell it because one thing about us humans is, is that we love stories. Yep. We love to teach via stories and we like to listen to stories. So here's the story of Pandora. Um, Pandora was sent uh, to Earth uh, by Zeus because Prometheus had stolen the fire from the gods and had given it to us. And the gods were angry and Zeus was going to punish humanity for having gotten its hands on a substance that wasn't really meant for us. I'd be mad if someone stole my fire. <laughs> I 
absolutely. Yeah. So meanwhile, Prometheus, you know, is suffering, chained to a rock and having his liver packed out every day by uh, an eagle. And, you know, interestingly enough, uh, you know, the liver is the only organ in the human body that, that regenerates. regenerates. So anyway. The gods are smart. Leaving Prometheus no to his suffering. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Zeus thinks, though, so, you know, I want to more immediately uh, punish humanity. So he creates a human and uh, 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 she is Pandora. And he says to Pandora, Pandora, here is a box and uh, go down uh, to Earth and whatever you do. Do not open this box. Mm. And of course, Zeus knows that he has created a human. And if one thing we are as creatures, we are curious. Uh Tell us not to do something, something and we will find a way to do it and see what the consequences are. So Pandora, like a good human being, goes down (laughs) to Earth with her box, opens the box and realizes that this box contains all the evils in the world. So heartbreak, sickness, poverty, all these things fly out of this box. Of course, she is immediately completely horrified and she slams the lid shut really fast and she is able to catch one evil. Oh, really? That evil is hope. So, you know, here we can see already that, you know, in this conception of that story, um, the uh, hope is somewhat problematic as an evil because it stays in this box, right? But that leads actually the German philosopher Nietzsche to say that hope is the worst of all evils. Okay, but wait a second. I'm sorry. In my um, ignorance, I missed, though, why hope was one of the evils. Are you getting to that? Am I jumping the gun? No, I, 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 I will get to that. Okay, Absolutely. all right, all right. Yes. Then, then so, just keep going. Sorry. So Nietzsche yeah. says, hope is the, you know, I'm kind of trying to prolong the suspense. So sure. you're staying with me. Sure. That's yeah, excellent. I'm with you. Matthew, I'm so with so you. Yep. Okay, yep. Right. It's my job here. Yep. <laughs> okay. So Nietzsche said it was the worst of all evils because it prolonged the suffering of humankind. Mm. So let's say you find yourself in a bad relationship and you hope that he or she is going to change. As long as you hope that, you're going to stay there. But if you, you know, didn't have hope, maybe it would be easier for you to realistically assess the situation and say, hey, I need to get out of here now. So true. So in antiquity, though, you know, people were probably concerned about, you know, bad relationships. But uh, (laughs) according to their worldview, everything was cyclical. So everything had already been preordained by the gods and everything was going to come around again. So if, as a, let's say, a warrior entering into battle, you were hoping to survive the battle, you actually showed weakness because as a strong warrior, you accepted your fate, which had already been decided upon before the battle. Mm. You would enter the battle and a strong warrior met his fate, whatever that was, uh, you know, with acceptance. So if you were there praying that things would have a certain outcome, that was a sign of weakness. Interesting. And that was considered bad or evil. Interesting. I have no recollection of how we got onto the hope story. What was okay, so what? <laughs> so how we I got love there, the hope story. How we got there is because now I, I'm going to see hope completely different. I'm, I'm probably going to be hopeless going forward. My work is done here now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, uh, you know. So going back to what with the study of humanity yes. stuff. So it takes yeah. a concept that we think we understand, like hope, right. and you know, puts it into a historical perspective mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and says, if we, you know, these, these, how we create our wor- view of the world, what we consider to be reality, to a large degree is something that we have agreed upon and we have made up. Right. So the concept of hope doesn't actually exist in the material world. It is something that we have created in order to help us 
maneuver life's path. And we have a much more limited view of what hope is if we're disconnected from Pandora and her story. And actually, I'm going to take the story a little further. Okay. So in antiquity, uh, you know, hope becomes, uh, you know, one of um, the seven evils as well. Because here, you know, you are not hoping for anything. Again, you are accepting, you know, what uh, uh, God has uh, uh, ordained for you. So again, you know, it's considered not only an evil, it's considered um, sinful. Oh, uh, but in the 18th century, all that changes. You know, with the Enlightenment, humanity is taking its fate from the gods into its own hands. And now hope is actually turning into something positive. Okay. And as a teacher, clearly, I am not going to look negatively upon hope. I want my <laughs> students to be hopeful right. that education is going to lead uh, to uh, a better life, not only financially, but right. uh, also spiritually, intellectually, just to a richer, fuller life. Okay. So once hope rides on the wings uh, of the Enlightenment, uh, you know, hope is the motor for progress. Okay. And we see it today as completely positive. However, mm -hmm. when uh, Obama writes a book about the audacity of hope, clearly there is an inherent danger in that. Yeah. Namely that once you create hope, you need to deliver. All right. Like I said, my whole perspective on hope has changed as a result. I don't know if we even need to go on because the, pro the changes are so profound that I've already experienced in this first 10 minutes of this conversation. Um, but you did just say two things that I want to uh, take advantage of as a segue, progress and financial gain, and as they relate to education and, and the purpose of education. Uh, we live in San Francisco where for years, if I discussed briefly on my last show and plenty of others are lamenting all the time, writers, artists, humanita humanitarians in the sense of, or humanists, I guess they would be, right? At least before we use that term. Um, do we still use that term to talk about people who study the humanities? I mean, that's, it's more complicated than that. Yes. I think that was a more specific to a historical period. But anyway, Correct. people who uh, practice the humanities have been and continue to be forced out of the city because of economic changes, largely a result of, you know, tech coming in and really dominating so many parts of, of our city. Um, that being the case, if I'm a young person, why would I choose to study something in the humanities versus, say, get a computer science degree and immersing myself in the joys of Java and artificial intelligence and virtual reality? Um, you know, when I was in school way back when, I was discouraged from pursuing a degree in the humanities in favor of something that could, quote, get me a job. So we've talked about the intellectual reasons behind humanities and things, but then from a practical perspective, why would I study the humanities in 2018? So first of all, I wouldn't separate the two things. Okay. I wouldn't separate technology, science, and humanities. And, um, you know, I want to read a quote to you that Steve, that comes from Steve Jobs when he introduced the iPad 2 a long, long, long time ago in March of 2011. And what Steve Jobs said was this. Uh, he said that it is in Apple's DNA that technology alone is not enough. It's technology married with liberal arts, married with the humanities, that yields us the results that make our heart sing. And I would argue, you know, that the iPhone is a device that makes our hearts sing. As I just humans, got one two days ago. <laughs> I just rejoined the ranks of the iPhone holders two days ago, and I couldn't be happier. I'm... I'm 
I have mixed feelings about saying that. But anyway, so you would argue that the iPhone, yes. So here your heart is singing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we recognize what it is that humans desire. So ultimately, you know, what makes our heart sing is not a technological device, but what we can do with it and how we connect with it and how we operate with it. Uh, also, um, you know, I can throw many studies at you, um, you know, just saying what employers want. Employers don't necessarily want specific technology skills. What they want is employees that can think critically and solve problems. And how do you get there? You don't get to thinking critically and solving problems by learning Java or any other kind of, um, you know, technological skill. Uh, you learn it by connecting things, by looking at things from different angles. And, you know, once you think about this concept of hope, I'm going to hop back to that, <laughs> uh -huh. you now have found a different way to approach that angle of, of hopefulness. Right. Uh, looking at the inherent dangers in that. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking at this binary um, artificial separation of, you know, should I get a degree in technology or should I get a degree in that is humanities infused, you should be thinking to supercharge your education, which is the byline of uh, the humanities. Yes, I recognize program. that slogan. Yes. Exactly. Uh -huh. uh, because no matter what your pursuit in life is, uh, having studied the humanities will enrich uh, that experience and will make you a more valuable employee. Okay. Another fact that I found on your website that was interesting along these lines is one third of Fortune 500 CEOs have a liberal arts degree. That's that might have been on the uh, the uh, USF site, but on one of the sites uh, related to your to your program. Uh, and then also along the lines of the critical thinking. Uh, in a recent survey, more than 90% of employers said the capacity to think critically, communicate clearly, and solve complex problems is more important than a job applicant's undergraduate major. And as you said, studying the humanities is a powerful way to develop these abilities. So we talked about then how humanities contributes to thinking critically. Uh, but what about this other point made in that last quote, communicating clearly? Now, when I was in the corporate world, every other person who comes in for, not every other, every person who comes in for a job says, oh, I'm an amazing communicator. Well, what I found is not everyone's an amazing communicator, that that really is a skill. Um, so how do the humanities help with, with, with that actual communication uh, or the ability to communicate clearly? Because I don't think that everyone's a good communicator, and I think that it's really important. I, I agree. Uh, and, you know, thank you uh, actually for creating the segue uh, for me because, you know, uh, being a non-native speaker, I'm sure you've by now noticed my German accent, um, uh, which is a sideline in our humanities department of Foothill. Almost all of our instructors have accents and we see that um, as highly valuable because if you do speak another language, you understand not only, uh, you know, you only not paying more attention to the way you communicate, but also that there is a different normal because what you consider normal in your culture might not be normal in another culture and when you study a foreign language it will sensitize you to that fact it will sensitize you to the fact that the one sitting across from you even if you share the same native language might have a different reality to your own and I just want to give you a couple of uh, numbers uh, about foreign language study in the United States so in the United States about 20% of Americans speak a language other than their uh, uh, two languages at home mm -hmm. so that's that's really really wonderful but then uh, what is being taught in secondary schools 
it's not much foreign language. On average, only 19% of students in the United States learn a second language in high school. 19%? That, yeah, and that doesn't make you a native speaker or bilingual by any means. And, you know, sadly, California rolls in with only... 13.9%. So just a really? smidge and 14%. And, huh. you know, the I think I, we need to mention here states that do a better job, like Wisconsin has uh, uh, 36% of its students studying a uh, foreign language. And again, when you look at what's happening um, in Europe, 40, 56% of Europeans uh, consider themselves bilingual. 56% sure. uh, have, and this is not just speaking another language, but actually understanding that there are multiple ways of being in the world. Um, like, you know, take, for example, the concept of competition. That word really doesn't exist in German in the same way it is understood here. Really? And I always had a hard time remembering it because it actually means something positive uh -huh. uh, here. You know, competition is something that uh, uh, makes you get better, etc., etc. And in German, surprisingly enough, it is seen as negative. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's something that hinders uh, uh, productivity. Um, but, you know, let me just go back for one second sure. to Europe and the European Union. So the European Union has a goal that its citizens in Europe speak not only one foreign language, but two. And it is considered a human right to be able to speak another language. Because to, in, re, in order to fully develop your potential as a human, you need to understand that there is not only one way to do it. And, you know, we don't want to fall into the pitfalls um, of uh, certain officials like this one in Texas uh, that said English was good enough for Jesus Christ <laughs> and it is good enough for uh, the children of Texas. Are you serious? Yeah, no, wow. I'm serious. I'm serious. Wow. Yeah. That's not even yeah. laughable. I mean, yeah. my first reaction is to laugh, but yeah, I had no, I, maybe I'm just dumb. I had no idea that, Jingli, that uh, Jesus was an English speaker. <laughs> I feel stupid. All this time I thought he spoke, I don't know, what was Aramaic. it? Aramaic. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Then I thought, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, he was an English speaker. I know. Interesting. British English or American English? Probably British. It was closer, I guess. Well, you know, British English was around probably Maybe earlier Texan, than that. Texan yeah. dialect or... Could yeah, be. Interesting. Texan, yes. I had no idea. No idea. This is why I do this show. I learned so much. All right. Well, speaking of learning, let's transition into the actual program because okay. I would be really happy just to continue listening to you, quite frankly, talk about the humanities because it's fascinating. But uh, we do want to talk about the Humanities Mellon Scholars Program that uh, you are chair of. Is that right? Is yes, that the right title there? and I'm the, the, there? the uh, director of the Humanities Mellon Scholars Program. And the Program. director, yes. Okay, director of Humanities Mellon Scholars Program at two schools, Foothill and De Anza. Uh, so tell us about the program. What is it? Okay, so first let me tell you that Foothill and Dienza belong to one community college district. So FHDA or Foothill Dienza Community College District, uh, Dienza College is in Cupertino and Foothill College is in Los Altos, but we are one district. We are one. So we are one. <laughs> so uh, uh, this district um, that I've worked for for many, many years uh, was able to procure a grant from the Mellons uh, Foundation uh, in partnership with USF. Uh, we were Awarded University of San Francisco. University of San Francisco, local. correct. Yep. Uh, we were awarded $2.1 million, of which $1.4 million went to Footer College and De Anza College. Now, you know, in the world of high tech, this is chump change. But for community colleges and particularly humanities departments, that is a lot um, of money. 
So um, when we were invited by the uh, Mellon Foundation to write a grant, uh, we were looking at um, obviously promoting the humanities, uh, helping underrepresented and underserved students obtain four-year degrees. Uh, and um, in order to do this, one of the greatest challenges that our students face are the horrendous financial hardships uh, that uh, students are faced with. So yep. we wanted to make sure that our students were supported financially. Mm -hmm. And so in the designing of the program, we came up with um, some tuition support that uh, the University of San Francisco graciously has kicked in. This is not grant funded. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, USF is providing... Um, so first of all, let me say, you, when you enter, when you become a Humanities Mellon Scholars, you have guaranteed admission to the University of San Francisco, and USF kicks in up to $10,000 a year Fantastic. for the remaining two years that students would be studying to get their undergraduate degree. They would do their first two years at Foothill or Dienza and then would uh, uh, transfer to USF. Now, being you know true to our humanities calling, we do not ask our humanities Mellon scholars to determine their major or even their transfer institute. So if you are thinking, oh, this sounds interesting, I am interested in getting support uh, you know, on the transfer path from Foothill College or Dienza College to a four-year university, this program is for you. Uh, you choose your major, you choose your transfer institution. But mm -hmm. if you happen to choose USF or the University of San Francisco, uh, then, you know, your affiliation with the program will continue uh, and you will receive support, uh, further support as you, at USF. So what is going to happen when you become a Humanities Mellon Scholar at Footer College or Dienza College? Yep. First of all, you are going to uh, be in a cohort experience. Every quarter, you will take a Humanities course with other Humanities Mellon Scholars. And this is the humanities-infused part of your degree pursuit. This will lead to a certificate in humanities, a certificate of achievement in humanities that's going to go on your transcript. And you will be able to demonstrate to any future employer that you have undertaken a sustained study uh, into uh, the humanities that will support your degree in accounting, chemistry, philosophy, whatever it is that you choose to do. Yep. Furthermore, uh, Foothill and Dienza will provide you with a faculty mentor throughout your time at Foothill. You uh, will also have your textbooks paid for. And as a side note here, you know, community college tuition is relatively affordable. What kills it, though, is the price of textbooks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes... Schools like UC Berkeley, the textbooks there are actually cheaper than the textbooks that, you know, you buy at the Footer bookstore. Why is that? Of volume and deals that are done with the publishers. Okay. So, you know, the t price of textbooks is, is, is really over the top. A whole different show we could do on that. But anyway, back to the Humanities Mellon Scholars Program. So your textbooks for the humanities courses are paid for. And you also are eligible for internships that are paid at $17 an hour. To be wow. frank, it's not $17 in your pocket because a little bit is held back for Uncle Sam. But um, I think it will leave about $14.50 in your pocket, which is yeah. quite amazing. And this is you know, what we were able to do with the funds that we received from the Mellon Foundation, going back to how do we support uh, our students 
financially while they are pursuing their degrees. Right, right. So who is, by the way, well, I actually have two questions. One I have written down in front of me, so I'll hold that one off, but the other one I'll forget if I don't say it. I'm curious, this program that you have at your both of your institutions in conjunction with USF, is this also happening at other institutions throughout the country? No, this is specific to you guys. You wrote the grant and you came up with this program. Exactly. Yeah. It is okay. specific to the Foothill De Anza Community College wow. District. Wow, okay, great. And let me just say something here. Uh, the Mellon Foundation uh, started, the Mellon Foundation, um, if you're not familiar with this, is very a very prestigious organization. So in the world of academia, Mellon, uh, you know, is kind of those buzzwords. If that's on your resume, that will open doors. Um, but um, Mellon has developed this line of grants because they were looking at studies coming out of China, where China was very good in teaching its students technical skills, but not so good at including the humanities, which led to a dearth of innovation uh, and uh, problem solving. Okay. And, uh, you know, therefore they saw that the United States with STEM, which is great focus on STEM education, which uh, wait, remind, for, remind us what STEM, yeah. uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, math right. uh, you know, was headed down a dangerous path. So now we and are China recognized this or this study Mellon by Mellon recognized? Okay. saw that the United States yep. was heading in a similar direction. Yep. And now, you know, we have coined a new term, which is STEAM, which uh, I love acronyms. the humanities in it. Anyway, so so um, Mellon had uh, granted uh, these uh, uh, their funds uh, to uh, four-year institutions to partner with community colleges. And Futilienza is the first community college that has been given the lead on this program, on this grant. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, so we um, invited USF to join us in this effort, and they graciously did. They are a wonderful, wonderful partner. I can't say enough good things about the University of San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and uh, so now, uh, you know, we are welcoming 70 students okay. every year. Yeah. Uh, How many years have you been doing this? This is only the second this year. This is just that the second year. It. Okay. Exactly. All right. Excellent. So we are inviting 70 students every year into the program. Uh, and, um, you know, we are hoping to continue this in an ongoing partnership uh, with the Mellon Foundation. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to uh, say something. So I, I looked at the Mellon Foundation website because I wasn't, I mean, I know the name, of course. I, I, I've uh, heard his name and I know he started the, uh, what big, uh, there's a national, what did he start? Yeah, the National Gallery of art in Washington. He started with his money from Alcoa, Gulf Oil, and lots of other big... He, they, his family was a banking family, right. I believe. And, right. yeah. yes. uh, but anyway, looking at his, looking at their site, rather, the, the foundation site, because it, it was two foundations, one from his son, one from his daughter. They were doing their separate foundations. They merged a few years ago. Um, but something in the mission statement was interesting to me and very relevant to this conversation. It said, quote, the foundation endeavors to strengthen, promote, and where necessary, defend the contributions of the humanities and the arts to human flourishing and to the well-being of diverse and democratic societies. So defend the contribution of the humanities was the first part that stood out there for me, but also, of course, the well-being of diverse and democratic societies. So let's talk, if we could, for a moment, uh, how and where do the humanities need defending? I thought that was an interesting thing. Now, of course, I can think of things here, but you know, from your perspective, uh, I just thought that was interesting defense, this idea that we've really got to protect this. How does that fit into the big picture of what you're doing and what this foundation is doing? You know, I don't like to come from that defensive position. Okay. I yeah. think that accepts um, 
a paradigm that I think is not actually um, applicable. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't think that the, hum that the humanities are rightly in a defensive position. Um, you know, once students are exposed to the studies of the humanities, it becomes pretty clear that this is applicable to our lives and to understanding what is happening to us in these times uh, and, uh, you know, under the continuous conditions, uh, political, social, economic, cultural conditions uh, in the United States. It provides the tools to, to parse this out. And, you know, we are all living under these conditions. And uh, we all understand to a certain level uh, what is going on. And the humanities help us articulate it. So I don't think that, uh, um, you know, exposure is important to the humanities. But I don't think I don't, I don't accept the fact that we need to be in a defensive position about this. I understand, you know, what, where the Mellon Foundation comes from because uh, majors uh, gained in the humanities are decreasing within the academy, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you know, I'm kind of stepping back and looking at it more holistically. Uh, so rather than focusing on the binary opposition of technology and STEM on the one hand and humanities on the other, Steam to me, there, the needs, other. <laughs> there needs to be a synthesis of yep. the two. One can't exist without the other because, you know, if we want to use technology uh, in a responsible way, we need to look at it, uh, you know, uh, dare I say, Pandora, outside <laughs> the box. Um, uh -huh, uh -huh, and, nice. and uh, you know, so I, 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 I reject this kind of a, a paradigm. Um, but I wonder if they were talking less from a perspective of justifying the need for and more potentially, and, and this is a question, recognizing that the humanities aren't getting the funding that they need, for example, because that's really what they're doing here. Are we seeing across the country that humanities are getting a lot less money in exchange for STEM? And I'm just going to start using that expression clearly. now. because yeah. <laughs> yeah, clearly. I mean, that is, that yeah. is yeah. you know, yeah. so, absolutely So the they're case. stepping in um, just to try to make sure that, that, that these programs such as yours and that people, students such as yours, are getting the financial support so we can keep... Um, designing really good iPhones that are taking in the big picture and not just the technological but side. But again, of you know, I'd like to kind of step back and say, you know, economically, it is not viable to just educate people in performing certain tasks or innovating in certain uh, uh, areas. Uh, it, is, uh, it, it doesn't behoove us to be so one and lopsided. And that's also what the uh, Mellon Foundation uh, is, is addressing in, in, in funding uh, the Humanity Mellon Scholars Program at Foothill and Dianza. Yep. Okay. Uh, so you talked a little bit about this, but, um, I'm just curious because I know that you still have some slots open and we'll talk about the process for applying near the end of our chat. Um, but I am curious, and you talked about how all of your professors have accent accents and how that's, that's great for, again, the different perspectives and all those different angles we already talked about, but who are you targeting with regards to, um, the potential candidates? And can you just tell us a little bit about, I know you said, you know, um, students who are potentially have some sort of financial need, because again, this is, this is trying to um, provide some money to people who might not have it otherwise. But is there anything else you would say with regards to the candidates and the, the people who actually get accepted into the program? 
So as a community college, obviously, we serve um, everyone. And clearly, uh, the Humanities Mellon Scholars Program is open to everyone. Uh, we, in our selection process, we pay particular attention to financial need, uh, underrepresented students, um, uh, which uh, include um, Latino, Latina students, African-American students, Pacific Islander, um, but everybody is uh, uh, welcome to apply and clearly we are looking for a strong cohort that brings diversity uh, in all its aspects to it. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about, because, uh, tell me about, you said this is your second year, so this is your second year uh, full year running, so you have your second group of students who are already in the program and you're recruiting for the third or you're recruiting for the second? So right now we are recruiting for the cohort that will start uh, classes uh, in fall. In this fall. 2018, this right. fall. And yeah. that'll be your third cohort this or your second? Our second cohort. This is the second. Okay, so second's Correct. upcoming. What can you tell us about the success and experiences and, and I mean, I know it's early in the program, but have you seen, do you have specific stories about how this is kind of having a positive impact or is it still a little early to make that sort of assessment? So being a mentor in the program. Because you were I, actually a mentor. That's right, okay, that's right. Okay. So I had some, um, you know, personal experiences with our Mellon Scholars in, 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 in seeing how the program was impacting them. And, um, you know, in unexpected and expected and unexpected ways. So expected would be you have a student coming in, and this is actually my favorite kind of student, the student who is undecided. When you come into my office at Foothill College, you will see that I have a t-shirt hanging there with Foothill College and the major is undecided. Uh -huh. I think that's a wonderful place to be as a, as a college student um, because, you know, college is the place where you are supposed to discover your passion. Right. And if I had to boil it down to, you know, the nub of what the Humanities Mellon Scholars provides is it will connect you with your passion. And maybe you already know your passion, and that is fantastic, and we will strengthen that. But maybe you don't know your passion. And then, you know, the program will allow you to investigate. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't promise you 100% that you will connect with your passion, but it will definitely uh, get you a lot closer, get you a lot closer, and also teach you pathways and strategies how to identify what you're interested in and potentially connect with your passion. Okay, so but let me just uh, yeah. uh, say that we get back to the success yeah. stories. Yeah. So, um, you know, students coming in and saying, uh, yeah, you know, I want to graduate, I want to major in biology because I want to be a doctor and then, uh, you know, really, really realizing that music is the most exciting thing about their life, talking to their parents and uh, realizing that their parents support them, even though they were really, really worried that they were veering off the pa path of, um, you know, becoming a doctor. And who knows, you might still become a doctor because actually, if you look at the acceptance rates into medical schools, uh, students with uh, humanities minors do actually very, very well in medical school, just as a sideline in case there are parents out there who are going, oh no, what is she saying? No, but that's really interesting. I mean, because it really does speak to the value of the humanities again, right? Exactly. And it's And it's not, you're not taking yourself out of the running. You're exactly. getting a broader education with these different sort of skills that apply to across the disciplines. Right. And so, but I, I think that's really important. And Absolutely. so, you know, these parents don't need to panic 
um, maybe they're just going to end up with more well-rounded kids who still want to be doctors. And who wouldn't, wouldn't want to have a doctor who has an in-depth understanding of hope? I know. I'm belaboring there you the go. point. You know, do, you know, do you realize that hope is actually an evil? Ah, Did you know that? Tell me about it. I didn't it. know that until last Sunday. So anyway, continue then. So success stories or, okay, or specific so examples. Okay, so specifically, um, yeah. you know, so maybe on a, on a, on a more day-to-day -day level, um, I had um, a mentee who um, was looking for a job. And she applied uh, to a company that... Um, sells makeup and apparently I didn't know this she explained to me that uh, the company interviews eight people at the same time so you see how other people are faring and um, she, out of these eight people she was the only one who got the job and not necessarily because she was a great consumer of makeup but because she was able to speak of the concept of beauty that she had investigated in her humanities class at interesting uh-huh uh -huh. so you know if you ask what is the economic value of studying the humanities there you have concrete there's example. a one-to-one -one, yeah there's a one-to-one -one, um connection there uh, okay, so let's say that I've been listening today and I'm a parent or I'm a, I'm a student and I was thinking about your program. What's the process? Because so, you said you still have spaces open. So exactly, what would be the process? Exactly. So the easiest thing to do is to Google Foothill College Humanities Mellon Scholars Program. So just remember Foothill College Humanities Mellon Scholars Program. And this will lead you to our website. And our website explains more specifics about the program. Uh, and it has a button that leads you to our application. And let me just say something about the application. Because, you know, being a um, humanities program, we think about things maybe, you know, always like from a little bit different angle. So you might go, oh, there's an application and I will have to write an essay and I will have to answer a question. Yes, that is true. You do have to answer a question, but you do not have to write an essay. <coughs> Excuse me. So we want to hear the answer to our question, which there are two. One is, what is your, what, ideally, what would be your favorite class? in college and secondly where would that class lead you or what would that class allow you to do so there are these two questions yeah now the answer you could go with the traditional essay we'd be happy to read this but you could also write a poem wrap oh. a song sing a song oh nice make a podcast a pretzi however you want to a communicate a pretzi What's which that? is a certain kind of powerpoint presentation okay um you however you want to communicate that answer to us do you actually have uh, people submitting raps and podcasts and things like that? Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. Because you, do you say that in the application, hey, do this, however, whatever media you want to use, whatever form you want this to take, send it our way. Yes, because That's exciting. we are interested in your answer. And clearly, you know, learning how to write well is something that will be very, very important in your professional career. But you might not have gained that skill yet. Mm -hmm. Studying the mm -hmm. humanities will definitely strengthen you as a writer. But if you are not there yet, or if this is not your forte, we want to have you put your best foot forward in any creative way uh, you would like to do. We well, do not want to stifle you. Right. And, and to me, it seems that it's an, an, a very explicit acknowledgement that there are many forms of expression that are completely legitimate. Now, of course... I couldn't be, uh, you know, a stronger advocate for having good writing skills, but that's not to say, and, and, and you need that to, to function out in the world, I think, in most settings, but that's not to say that these other forms of communication and creation and expression aren't, you know, 
in completely uh, legitimate. So I love that you guys are doing that. It'd be really interesting to see. Um, have you ever thought of getting permission from some of the more uh, you know, notable submissions and kind of create, because you've got a video up for the program. It would be really interesting if you submitted or if you uh, presented some of those, if you could get people to sign off on them. Um, you might get even take take submissions to the next level if people saw some of the uh, some of the submissions that are already coming in. You're, you're, you're wincing a little bit. <laughs> I'm wincing a yeah, little bit because, yeah. you know, once you give a model, you well, kind true. of guide sure. creativity sure. into a certain direction. Then you're going to get five of the really raps or five of the whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. a good point. And we really want to see students feel free to express themselves however they would like. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I still love that you do that. Okay, so we have three minutes, two minutes, really. But one thing... If you can condense this, this this also could be a whole episode, a whole. Um, but you said something. We help them to figure out how they identify their passion, and I know plenty of people our age who are still looking to identify their passion. So, in sixty seconds or less, how would you sort of recommend, or what is the approach that you take to help these students or just people in general? identify their passion you need to expose yourself to things that you didn't think you would even be interested in grab as many different experiences as you can this leads me back to the internship part these internships that we provide uh, take place in locations such for example at the los altos history museum and at first our students do not feel that necessarily a history museum is going to be the place that is going to connect them with anything. But once they realize that history museums actually are in need of students to infuse these organizations that might have gotten a touch stale uh, with new ideas and to uncover the hidden histories that are so important to tell and that often get lost and where students' voices are extremely important, um, students might actually find value in that that will lead them other places. Sure. Our uh, interns have uh, participated in an art installation at the International Airport um, of uh, San Jose. Uh, you know, they have uh, written websites. Uh, you know, they have done so many valuable things that they had no idea they would do, would enjoy, or would lead them to think differently about things. So I think it is about exposing yourselves to experiences that you might not see the value of to be open to it, and then see what happens well and see what happens i mean and this is what i was just writing down i, I wrote down your line um you know the value that will lead them to other places so Correct. the point isn't because i think so often and i've put this pressure on myself over and over again just throughout the course of my life <laughs> is i don't want to take that first step because i don't know where that step's going to lead and so i'm not sure it's the right first step but you don't know until you take that step and then doors are going to start to open. But the doors that you know are going to open and the unexpected doors, none of those doors are going to open until you take that first step. But so often we don't take this step because we feel like we already need to know the outcome. And that's just not how it works. Exactly. That's just not how it works. Uh, we have no more time. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. Thank for you, me on your Falk. Program. This has been great. I just realized there's one thing we did not say, and then I'm going to repeat the uh, the links, of course. But we didn't say the deadline for for applications. So the deadline for application is July 20th. the ed The application is not that involved. It's not going to take you unless you're doing a video shoot. <laughs> unless you're doing a video shoot, or yeah, okay. So yeah, not that involved. Doesn't take that much time. So just go ahead, get online, and do it. You have 12 days, people. 12 days. Uh, questions, contacts. Okay, so the links to the uh, to the to the to the program: Foothill 
edu slash melon scholars or like you said just go on just go on google or bing or a search engine uh or deanza.edu slash melon scholars uh there's a video overview there did you play the electric guitar on that video overview no i no? didn't okay because i thought i recognized just that style seemed like it might have been yours uh and then you can also go on usf uh on their uh, website they also have some information about the program and the part that they play in that as well last but not yeah go ahead you don't have to be a foothill or dienza student to apply okay good good uh clarification to make there falk thanks for being here today and continued success with the program thank you matthew thanks. you too